Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, got a, a interesting week to talk about. I was going to say a big week, a fun, exciting week, but... I don't know about that. Uh, the week in review. Uh, we're if if you're seeing the title of this episode, uh, it'll be something along the lines of like, "What's wrong and how do we fix it?" Uh, which I guess gives everybody an idea of what we'll be talking about during the deep dive segment a little bit later on. Um, first, we're gonna go over the week that was. Kraken had their first homestand of this uh, third season for them, this 2023-2024 season. We'll recap those games quickly. Talk about. Um, a, a new little NHL website wrinkle. And then, of course, the latest news on Andre Burakovsky. Got to start, though, RJ, on this 10-23-23. Uh, do you know what 23 has to do with our sponsor today, Queen Anne Beer Hall, RJ? 23? Uh, no, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you have, Dylan? Well, of course, thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, 23 is the number of ta- of big, long tables, I would guess, Queen Anne Beer Hall has in there. 23. Let's see. I'm trying to do the math in my head as I <laughs> picture this place. You haven't counted, have you? I have not counted. No, I if, I wish I had because I just thought of this right now. But that seems about right. I saw the 23-23 and I was like, I, I could make that work. <laughs> well, good job. I mean, you have been on fire with these promos, Dylan, and these and the post games. Uh, so well done there. But yeah, that actually, that does sound about right. I'll it's, count next time I'm in there. Yes, it does sound about right. The point is they've got plenty of space for everybody to show up. You can go and watch as the Kraken go on another away stint right now, another road trip. Queen Anne Beer Hall is an excellent place to go and watch the games filled with other Kraken fans, get to celebrate, get the music going, get the goal horn when the Kraken go, all that good stuff, the lights. Great, great stuff over at Queen Anne Beer Hall. So definitely go check that out if if you haven't already. It's it's a good time. Um, all right, RJ, news and notes. What is the latest with Andre Burakovsky? Because, I mean, that's the biggest news right now for the Kraken. Right. So big news breaking yesterday on Andre Burakovsky. So uh, for those of you who maybe didn't see the game against the New York Rangers, uh, Burakovsky fell on the boards awkwardly after a shove in kind of a dangerous area of the ice from Jacob Truba, uh, got up really slow, kind of holding his arm chest type area. And uh, we have an update on that. Unfortunately, uh, he is out six to eight weeks with an upper body injury, undisclosed upper body injury, uh, but he had some kind of procedure done according to the Kraken this morning morning. Um, so he'll be out for a fairly extended period of time. Dave Haxtell hinted at that after the game saying he didn't think it was going to be any kind of short-term thing. And of course we get the update confirming that it's as bad as it looked. Uh, and so that puts his return probably around mid December. Uh, that would be kind of in the middle of that time frame. So look for him to return maybe around then, but it's going to be tough for him. The guy just can't catch a break. I mean, he missed pretty much the whole second half of last season and the playoffs with an injury that had a few setbacks. And now with this, um, just really rough for Andre Burakovsky. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing because we were all looking forward to see what he could do with hopefully a, a full and healthy season with the Kraken. And it just unfortunately doesn't look like that'll be the case now. Um, you know, look, he, he was kind of struggling to find a place in the lineup, a little similar to last season, right? That was one of the talks through the first couple of weeks of this season was just kind of where is he going to fit in? Can we get that production rolling? All that stuff. Um, felt like, you know, he was he was playing well, RJ, and then this happens and it's just... It's, it's really, really tough. Um, 
interesting to see when we find out kind of what the injury is too I yeah uh, i i don't know probably maybe around his return or maybe after the season those would be really, really the two times you would find out i don't know dylan do you agree with me though looking at it i don't want to speculate too much because again i'm not an expert on this but like I i've seen it a lot online it was certainly my first thought when he got up it looks like broken collarbone to me yeah that's what a lot of people were saying on the discord too i i thought that and or you know i was it was more so me hoping for just maybe like a dislocated or separated shoulder and then it wouldn't be as bad but yes that's that's certainly the way it is and as somebody pointed out on the post game or the discord one of those if that had been the case he probably would have been holding his arm differently the way he was holding his arm sure kind of signals collarbone yeah it's... Yeah, rough stuff for Andre Burakovsky, and I just, I, I, I'm hoping we get. I mean, you know, he signed a fairly long-term deal, right? I just mm -hmm. want one full season of him healthy, just to see what he can do. Yes, exactly, because we know we know he's got the offensive chops. We've seen it before from him. Want to see that here with the Kraken as well. Uh, so that's the latest on Andre Burakovsky. Um, <laughs> the the other little bit of news that I wanted to mention real quick here, RJ. Uh, is today actually the NHL launched NHL Edge, which is like an advanced stats website using for the first time the NHL's you know player tracking data. Uh, this is the first time they're making that kind of public and available to everybody, and you can. As I mute myself, uh, you can go on there and you can uh, you can um, check things out for yourself. The website is. Uh, it's a little buggy right now, so just know mm -hmm. that going in. It's edge.nhl.com. Uh, it's not too dissimilar from the NHL app this year where there's uh, interesting things to it and maybe not, it, you know, it's just not working. Um, but I haven't had time because it just launched earlier today, RJ, to really dig into this stuff for the Kraken. But there was just a couple things I wanted to mention just looking at it really quick, just the team stuff. I haven't even looked at individual players yet. Uh, I thought this was interesting that the uh, – the team is kind of right in there when it comes to speed, RJ, as far as skating speed. They're, they're kind of right, right in there around average with everything. Uh, the one thing that they're very, very much not close to average on, RJ, is skating distance, in which the Kraken are at the 96th percentile, just skating on average almost 50 miles more than, it, than the... the, the um, the rest of the league. So over the course of this season so far, they've skated 50 miles more than, than league average. What's up with that? I mean, just a lot of back and forth. I guess, I don't know. And I think seeing these stats too, we're going to have an opportunity for a lot of very smart people to try and dig through these and kind of figure out what they actually mean. Uh, Cause that's something that stood out to me right away. When I took a look at the Kraken page is the skating distance, how they're second in the NHL in total miles skated uh and i thought that was just really interesting because I, I i can't think of maybe a reason in how they play or i mean again maybe they're chasing the puck yeah. a whole lot and and they're being forced to skate a lot by their opponents i don't know but then i'm looking at some of the top teams in skating distance i look at the calgary flames at number one which is kind of odd to me i don't know i don't think of anything like stands out about them kraken number two but you look at the detroit red wings at five mm -hmm. and one at number three and then you got the vegas golden knights undefeated at number four um, so, you know, it's not, you're not seeing just like the worst teams in the league down there. In fact, you're seeing some of the best. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't really know what exactly it means, but it's the kind of thing where you can look and see, okay, does this correlate with success? Does this not? What meaningful takeaways can you have from this? I also enjoy that they have this breakdown too. If you go to the, 
the team section where it shows the skating distance and it shows the percentage of the time that it's in the offensive zone, the neutral zone, mm -hmm. and the defensive zone for that skating distance. So you look at the Kraken, they spend most of that skating distance in the defensive zone, 37.2%. Uh, you know, that's higher than Calgary. That's higher than, um, actually, it's about uh, what, what Vegas is at. Um, you can kind of see the breakdown there. And so it's just a lot to look through. Haven't had... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll give you a sec to, to drink some water there. Got, RJ got too excited, okay? RJ's been waiting for this for so long. He just got way too excited talking about skating distance. Um, my whole thing, my my thought with it, with the skating distance for the Kraken here was they back check, right? This is something we talked about last week with, are they too built for the playoffs? Let's look at their centers, right? You look at a Matty Beniers, Wenberg, uh, Yanni Gord, even guys like Jared McCann playing on the wing, uh, Andre Burakovsky playing on the wing. These are a lot of guys that like to be defensively responsible in addition to what they can do offensively. And so I was wondering if maybe some of that skating distance comes from just this, this team has a lot of guys that are going to come in heavy on the back check, RJ, and they're going to kind of <laughs> skate skate around in that zone too. And that was that's the best I could come up with, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably sorry. I got I did get too excited over the skating distance. I need to not jump into this too much, um, especially with some of these other stats here. You know, max speed and and shot location data. It's all just so exciting. Um, but I'm sure we'll have some more takeaways from that throughout the season and, and kind of try and figure out what some of these numbers mean, especially once we have a larger sample size than just six games. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing that stood out to me, RJ, is like shot location stuff. Um, first off, the shots, shots on goal, Kraken, definitely above league average, 78th percentile. That's something we talked about. We'll probably talk about that later when we talk about what's been going wrong for the Kraken. Um, Lots of lots of steep angle shots, RJ, when you look at the little chart that they have for shot location and the one place the Kraken are above average, it's very much low and to the side. And that tells me those that's not great places to shoot the puck from, RJ. It's just not. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is where you can really get a good look at at shot quality as opposed to just getting those shots on goal numbers. And I know that, you know, going through some of these ones, uh, sites that do it live, like money puck or whatever, the locations can be kind of inexact. I think this is going to have better shot location data than what has been available previously. And so I think that's going to really help clarify some things. And yeah, looking at this, at this, um, shot chart here from the crack and just these different areas of the ice. Yeah. A, a lot of kind of low danger shots there. So that might explain the lack of goal scoring a little bit. Yep, just a little bit. So again, uh, this is a brand new site, still a little buggy. They're still figuring things out. Um, hey, uh, I'm, you know what? I'm used to some bugginess yeah. and maybe not, you know, working properly when I have, you know, Edge on my internet browser. Sorry, That's... Microsoft. <laughs> Dang, RJ. No, no, the market, RJ. <laughs> you got to be careful living up there. Uh, Want us to change our tune? Like Sponsor us, Microsoft. Oh, well, all right. That I can get on board with. Um, yeah, I was just going to say also, don't try to use this on uh, mobile at all. Like just heads up if you're thinking like, oh, I'm commuting today. Let me let me check this out. Uh, don't. <laughs> I'm just gonna save you a lot of time and trouble there. Don't don't try it on mobile. But yes, I am excited to see more from that. I'm excited to kind of dig into that over the course of the next week and as you said, over the course of the rest of the regular season. I I just wanted to bring it up because it's significant. This is something a lot of people have been asking for from the NHL for a long time. So it's exciting. Um, all right, RJ. Game recaps from this last week. We finally got some home games. Uh, kicking things off against the Colorado Avalanche. And this was an interesting game, RJ. The Kraken fall 4-1 to the Avalanche. Um, but it wasn't 
necessarily all that bad. I mean, this is a game where the Kraken had 70 shot attempts. They had 38 shots on goal. They were still trying to figure out the offense. They go 0 for 4 on the power play, but it was a game that I remember doing the post game for, and I was very excited about the fundamentals we were seeing from the Kraken. It very much felt like a team that, yes, they're shooting at a very, very low percentage, but they're getting a ton of shots off. It's just a matter of time before the dam breaks. Um, so I, I know it's a 4-1 loss, but this Colorado game, and maybe this also comes with, you know, after the, the Rangers 4-1 game that we'll get to, didn't really feel that bad. No, it didn't. I thought it was generally an impressive effort. And you look at the Colorado Avalanche, they're a very good team. I mean, they've had an excellent start to their season. Uh, they've bounced back really well from the first round exit as as some of these teams that, you know, maybe you're, you're a cup champ and then you have a down season. They tend to do that. But Colorado, you look at the game since too. I mean, they're 5-0. and They haven't lost to anybody yet this season. And um, I thought the Kraken gave a really good effort against a, a really good team. And ultimately, they just couldn't get another goal to go. But um, for a while, it was it was a close game and tied 1-1. And then, you know, unfortunately, you give up the shorthanded goal and, and those can just be killers as we saw in the Nashville game, as we see in this one. Uh, and if you can't get the power play to kind of make up for that, then then you can be in trouble. And then, you know, the abs get that 3-1 goal with, um, you know, six minutes or so to go in the third. And, you know, at that point, I think the Kraken kind of unraveled a bit. But, um, you know, it was a close game against a very good team. And I think there's, there's no shame in maybe losing a game like this in isolation. It's only a problem in the bigger picture of things. But, yeah, I was kind of generally okay with this game. Yeah, I mean, the Kraken 58.1 on face-offs. I mean, there was a lot of positive stuff from this one. It did feel like, though, RJ, another time where you go 0 for 4 on the power play and you think, well, if on any of those power plays you were able to get a goal, maybe it changes the makeup of this game. And and then on top of it, as you mentioned, the shorthanded goal. Not only are you not able to score on the power play, but you give up your second shorthanded goal of the season already made the power play at that time, RJ, a minus one differential on the power play. You had, you've given up more shorties than you had scored on the power play. I, I mean, it'll be a theme through all of these games. It, this just kind of feels like one of those where, again, special teams was, you know, going to be the difference and the Kraken had the opportunities and they just still couldn't capitalize on them. Yeah, and it's a shame, too, because I thought the Kraken, especially in the first period, came out really focused on the task at hand. And I know when you're playing against a team that certainly wants to uh, make up for losing a playoff series and a very contested one seven game series at that, I felt like after the first period, you had one team that was trying to settle a score, and that was Colorado, and you had another yes. team that was just trying to win a hockey game. And that was Seattle. And the Kraken came out of that first period up one nothing, And I was really pleased with their start. They didn't get distracted uh, by what Colorado was trying to do. And, and I think that's the kind of mental toughness that you need to have as a team, um, especially when you, you look at Colorado. I think part of the, the story of this game was them trying to settle a score from last season, whether that's Jordan Eberle uh, fighting, uh, you know, being being made to kind of fight and answering for his, his hit on Andrew Cogliano, or whether it was the, you know, kind of will he, won't he, Kale McCarr answering for his hit on Jared McCann. I think that was a big part of the subtext of this game. And the Kraken really didn't get drawn into it. And, you know, if you can just execute a little bit better on the power play, I think you can get a reward from that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you mentioned it, the, the score settling from the Colorado side. That's really the also the big story from this game was, hey, this is our first time playing them after that, you know, really contentious 
uh, playoff series, that first round playoff series that the Kraken took in seven last year. We saw the fight uh, from Jordan Eberle early on. I believe he fought Logan O'Connor, um, kind of settle the, the stuff from the Cogliano hit. Um, in that playoff series, you had the crowd, right? First home game, RJ, everybody was there. Everybody was ready to boo Kale McCarr whenever he got the puck. This this really does feel like the Kraken's first true rivalry, RJ, as far as like there is bad blood on and off the ice. Yeah, I think more than any other team, it's Colorado. And we kind of mentioned this over the first couple seasons at various points when talking about the Kraken's rivals and who they were supposed to be. And everyone's kind of been pushing the Canucks rivalry since before day one. Uh, Vegas is another option too. But really how these rivalries form is the playoffs and you never know who you're going to face and you never know how a series is going to work its way out. And I think right now Colorado has to be the Kraken's biggest rival at this point. And it's because this stuff is forged in the playoffs. You never know how it's going to go, but um, very interested to see the Kraken. They have Colorado on the schedule twice more uh, before 2023 is up and, and in very quick order too. So I'm interested to see kind of how that, you know, boils over or how the, the Kraken deal with that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Anything else you want to talk on this game before we move on to the next one? No, I think that just about covers it. I guess I'll, I'll mention one more thing. Uh, good on Dave Lowry. He kind of got hit in the top mm-hmm. back of the head with a puck uh, in the second period, and, and the back of his head was clearly bleeding, and he actually came back in the third period. I mean, that's that's a hockey coach, you know? It's a, it's a dangerous play, but he was able to come back and coach in the third period. So just want to say glad he's okay and, uh, you know, of course, showing some toughness there. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the next game, RJ, Kraken get their first win of the season, overcoming the Carolina Hurricanes 7-4. to four. You know, the, the talk after that, that avalanche game, really the talk all season long for the Kraken had been they're getting shot attempts, they're, the offense is, is seemingly there, but they cannot score. They could score in this one, RJ, as the Kraken just explode for seven goals from seven different goal scorers. I mean, this was this was a rout, RJ, is, is basically what it was. I know Carolina is a team that's kind of struggling right now, but it was great for the Kraken to get their first win of the season, put up seven goals like that, get everybody on the scoreboard, it felt like, right? And it was just a phenomenal game. It felt like a game straight out of last season. It felt like the dam had burst and you were getting that scoring, but not just, you know, from the high end guys, just the depth of scoring from everybody that we knew so well from the Kraken last season. It felt like, all the wrongs were kind of righted in this one. Um, And you know what? The Canes actually kind of came back and made it a bit of a game in the third period too. The Kraken had a big lead. Carolina got within one goal. They made a goalie switch and and Kochetkov came in. I think he was a lot better than Antti Ranta. Mm -hmm. And the Kraken responded well to that test. And uh, Dave Haxtell after the game even said, I'm kind of glad that happened. I thought we needed that test and we passed that test. Uh, And I thought that was a really good takeaway from that game as well. you also had, you know, guys stepping up like Ty Karche with his first NHL regular season goal with the, the Calder Trophy in the building for most of the for pretty much the whole day um, with Matty Beneers having won it. And so they were doing a little tour with the Calder Trophy and you, know, you got the rookie stepping up as well. Uh, and then also uh, fighting a Carolina player. I think it was Brendan Lemieux uh, answering for, for a hit that Lemieux had on Jared McCann. And, and you know, I don't know 
if it's the best thing to have a rookie step up in that situation, the guy who doesn't usually fight. Um, but you could see the camaraderie there and someone wanting to stand up for his teammates. So another really good game for Ty Cartier. Yep, both of those contributing to Ty Cartier getting the first Davy Jones hat of the season, uh, which was great to see for him as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was, a, this was a solid game all around for them. Like I said, you get just about everybody on the score sheet. Everybody but Jordan Eberle for the forwards was able to register at least one point. And then the big thing, RJ, was, you know, not only are they scoring, but the power play was able to score as well. The Kraken go two for four on the power play, get some much needed kind of special teams assists there. And um, that was that was really, really nice to see, RJ. And you know what? Things things looked a little good, too, especially, you know, there's a shakeup as far as the, the power play lines a little bit. And, and the power play really looked good in this one. They were able to move the puck a lot, I felt like, and um, and kind of take that step forward. Yeah, I thought the power play was much improved. And of course, you have multiple power play goals in the game. I mean, that's that's super helpful, right? Yeah. But um, Dylan, I don't want to put too much of a damper on this. But I, I just I need I want to know your opinion. I'm sorry, Dylan. Just in the context of everything, yeah. though, whether it's the power play or, or the game in general, and I'm looking at the two power play goals for the Kraken. And I mean, you you've, look at the first one. You win a faceoff. That is huge. Yep. They haven't been doing enough of that off off the draw. So like, good for them. That's the execution you want. And you've got Jaden Schwartz going right to that. That's exactly what you want. Yep. But he is kind of left alone, wide open in front of the net for a long time. <laughs> and I mean, good on him for finishing in that situation. But I, I feel like Carolina, you know, maybe that's a bit of an oversight leaving him there. And then I look at the second power play goal and, you know, good pass over to Vince Dunn. You know, he he winds up from, you know, kind of from the slot there in the high slot. Yep. And, you know, good. You're taking your opportunity. I know you said after the game, you really like this goal. But yeah. the more I look at it, too, I feel like that's a shot that Auntie Ronta, the Canes goalie, just kind of has to have. I feel like that doesn't go in most of the time um, you know, in that situation. And I, I guess go to getting to my larger point, and I, I want to hear your take on this. This one felt more like Carolina losing the game than the Kraken winning the game to me. And a lot of that was bad goaltending for Monty Ranta. Kochetkov comes in, plays really well. I think if he started, it might be a different looking game. Mm -hmm. And also Carolina just really banged up. They don't have Sebastian Ajo, their best forward. They don't have Andrei Svechnikov, their second best forward. They don't have their starting goalie, Freddie Anderson. I, I don't know, in the context, uh, the larger context of these six Kraken games, how do you feel about, you know, the, how good of a win this actually was? It's okay. So at the time, I would have I would have really pushed back on this and said, no, it's a it's a good win because look, you just needed to get some confidence going for the group. You just needed to get confidence in there. And I guess I try not to get too far ahead of us as far as going into like what's working, what's not, and mostly what's not working. Um, a little bit later on, but I will say that yes, it this did. I I understand where you're coming from. Caroline is a team that's really struggling right now. We're watching them lose to a lot of bad teams. In addition to this loss against the Kraken, I, I like I said, at the time I would have said, look, you can get seven goals. You can get two power play goals. I don't care how they happen. You just needed to get them to get confidence going, get on the board, get the monkey off your back, whatever it is you want to say and get moving. Hindsight now after the Rangers game that we'll get to in a moment, which was just so awful. Um, yeah, maybe this was really just Carolina is kind of that bad right now and the Kraken just, you know, they do still have enough talent to take advantage of it. Um, I will say this with the, with the two power play goals, the Jaden Schwartz goal, 
look, you got to take advantage of what the defense gives you, right? The PKers all decided to jump up and, and cover um, Kyler Yamamoto for some reason and leave Jaden Schwartz all alone. You got to take advantage of that. And I do still think, you know, this is a puck that bounces off Jaden Schwartz's uh, skate and he's able to corral it and then stay composed enough to, you know, make a move and score. I still think that's a high skill play. That's something a lot of guys, you know, it's easy to panic in a situation like that, RJ, right? And not finish on your opportunity. Schwartz was able to finish. That's something I'm excited about. And with the Vince Dunn one, I mean, is that a goalie needs to make a save there? Is that a shooter picking a spot because they have a little bit of time and space and scoring? It, it can go either way on that one for me. I think of it a little bit more as as a shooter picking their shot and being able to execute. But uh, maybe maybe we've just kind of role reversed and, and uh, I'm the optimist today. I know. I guess so. Maybe that is the case. I, I will give this to Vince Dunn also on the first one too, recognizing that Schwartz is wide open in front of the net. Yeah. They've made an error. You need to move that puck toward the net fast. as fast as you yeah. possibly can. And he was decisive in a way that he isn't always on the power play. So I'll mm-hmm. absolutely give that to Vince Dunn. And then one more uh, point of optimism here from this game that I think just unqualified. There's there's no you know downside to it at all. Joey Decord, I thought, had a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. And yes, you, you know, in the third period, I know Haxtell said that, you know, he'll have some learning moments on those goals that that he allowed. But I thought he had a really good game. And it was clear that goaltending is kind of now a strength for the Kraken. Oh, definitely. Through, I mean, most of these games, things have been looking really good. You know, we didn't talk about Grubauer in the previous one against the Avalanche. Uh, Joey here, Kraken cr- goalies are, are totally figuring it out. Just, um, again, as we'll get to in a, in a little bit. Defense in front of them could, you know, help them a little bit. It would maybe be nice. Yeah. I, I'm sure that I'm sure they would appreciate it. Um, all right, last game that that we got to talk about for this weekend review, RJ, was the game on Saturday against the Rangers. It's another four-one loss for the Kraken. Kraken just uh, unlike that Avalanche game to kick off the week that they lost four-one. Kraken not able to get shots off. Only 19 shots on goal in this one. They only had two shots on goal in the entire second period. 0 for 3 on the power play again, weren't able to win faceoffs, and most importantly for me, just didn't even look like they had a lot of life in them through that second and third period, RJ. This one was a real, real stinker and a dud. Yeah, it was a disastrous game for the Kraken, pretty much however you slice it, right? And it was one of the oddest hockey games I've ever been to. And of course, we have to address the elephant in the room here. And that's the lighting issues in this game. So there was a section of lights that uh, were not working for pretty much the actually the entire game. And it was on one side of the rink. So you had one side of the rink that was definitely noticeably darker than the other side. And so as a result, there was a stoppage about a minute into the game. They took about 10 minutes to try and fix that issue to solve it, realized they couldn't do anything about the lights. And so they agreed to continue playing, uh, but have the team switch sides at the first stoppage after the 10 minute mark of each period. So, you know, once period, first, second and third, which kind of messed with the momentum of the whole game. It it just felt like an odd type of game. Um, And so it was kind of in the larger context of that, that you had just this game where it felt like everything was going wrong for the Kraken. And I mean, that, that is really how it turned out. I mean, you had, like you said, two shots on goal in the second period. Um, you had, you know, the, the physical aspect of it too, where you, you know, you have a game that got pretty chippy and pretty violent yeah. uh, and the Kraken end up losing Andre Burakovsky, as we already talked about earlier in the podcast for an extended period of time. It just felt like the bad luck kept coming, but the Kraken weren't really doing anything to, to make their own luck in this one. 
No, and not only, you know, there's the, the major injury there to, to Andre Burakovsky, but this was one where Jaden Schwartz misses a shift as he's dealing with, you know, kind of a re-aggravated ankle-ish injury. Belmar misses some shifts. Brian Dumoulin gets hit and misses some shifts. The Kraken were really getting banged up in this game. And then, of course, there was the Yanni Gord kind of situation where in the third period, Yanni Gord, it looks like is trying to be that energy player is trying to go out there and give his team a little bit of life when they weren't really feeling it. And, you know, he, he makes a, a hit, I believe on Chris Kreider. Um, he, he then, as he's skating past the Rangers bench, somebody from the Rangers bench, it looks like initiates it and kind of reaches out first, gives them a little shove. Yanni turns around, starts talking back, shoving back. Um, Adam Fox comes over, cross-checks Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord goes down, loses his helmet, gets back up, still facing the Rangers bench, and Chris Kreider comes in, cross-checks him again. Again, a helmetless Yanni Gord gets cross-checked towards the boards, misses the boards by about a foot, but if he hadn't, I mean, this would have been extremely, extremely dangerous and serious. Um, and then Yanni Gord gets up basically just to defend himself after he's been cross-checked from behind twice and ends up getting a game misconduct tossed from the game. And it was just, uh, it was kind of a nightmare from an officiating standpoint, but it was also just one of those where the one time you had somebody kind of go out there and try to generate energy, try to make a big hit on somebody to get this team going from a physical standpoint. And then they were absolutely punished physically by the Rangers and nobody else really kind of came in for them, right? You, you do get the Jared McCann fight uh, um, to stand up for Brian Dumoulin, but it felt a little a little late and then there was still never anything like nobody took on Truba for the hit that, you know, is going to knock out Burakovsky for a month and a half, right? Like it was just one of those where from a physical standpoint, the Kraken just were not there. I mean, they weren't there. They were flat out bullied. Yeah, they were. They, they were. were bullied in this game. And the Rangers, I think, saw that, saw that they could do that, that they could take liberties with the Kraken, that the Kraken couldn't really make them pay either physically or on the power play and realized, yeah, we can kind of cross the line all night. And that's what they continued to do. And, and I think the Kraken really just got pummeled from that. And I think it just, you know, added, you know, well, the injury to insult really on in this game. And I, I think it really exposed a problem for the Kraken uh, in this one. And, um, you know, you had Jared McCann going after, um, um, who was that that hit? Uh, oh, it was uh, Vincent Trocek yeah. who hit Brian Dumoulin. He, McCann after the game said he thought that Trocek left his feet on that hit, got up a little high, and Dumoulin was really shaken up on that hit. I'm surprised he was able to come back with how slowly he came off the ice. And, you know, Jared McCann, he shouldn't have to be the one doing that. You know, good no. on him standing up for a teammate, but he should not have to be the one to do that. Somebody else needs to step up and do that. If Jared McCann is the guy who's there risking his, his goal-scoring hands mm -hmm. uh, by you know, punching another player, punching a helmet. I mean, he took a lot more punches than he dished out because he's not a fighter, but it's just a bad all around situation. And, and the Kraken just kind of felt helpless in this one. And they, they felt, even when they tried to stand up, it just felt like a soft performance. And I'm not normally one to harp on these things. I know, I know it's, it's not really something that's usually important, especially in today's NHL where that stuff's going away. Um, but this game really exposed as a problem and not just, the whole, you know, fighting aspect of it too. I thought even during play, when you just had chances to be physical and mm -hmm. to impose your presence physically in a clean way that just prevents the other team from getting done what they want to get done, done, they didn't do that. And I look at the uh, the Artemi Panarin goal, actually his second goal of the game to make it 4-1 for the Rangers. Yeah. And 
there's a puck that's up in the air. Panarin's kind of reaching up for it. And he's right in the middle of the slot. Dangerous mm-hmm. scoring area. And there's a bunch of cracking around him. Jamie Alexiak steps up, goes towards him, has the chance to absolutely put Panarin on his backside and do it in a legal, safe, clean way. Yep. Just knock him over. He has no right to that ice. He doesn't, you know, the puck's up in the air. Just knock him over, put him on his backside. You are six foot seven. He is much smaller than you. Just hit him. And Alexiak kind of lets him just stay there and move right by him. Panarin corrals the puck, puts it top corner on Philip Grubauer, and the Rangers have the goal to totally put the game away. So just soft plays like that. And I, I hate to, you know, kind of highlight this because Alexiak has been, I think, one of the Kraken's best defensemen this season. But, you know, if he's not stepping into a guy like Panarin in that situation, especially after everything that happened in that game, I, I, I don't know what to say. No, it's, I mean, we're going to get to the physical and stuff in, in just a second, just because you brought up the goal. I, I wanted to, uh, just to close out this game, break down all four of the goals against, because all of them were, there's something worth talking about with all four of these goals. I think you did a great job there with that last goal. With the first Panarin goal, RJ, how on earth does really any player in the NHL get as wide open as our Terry Panarin gets on this goal, much less somebody who is, what, one of the five most dangerous scorers in this league, right? And the Kraken just leave him completely wide open. You've got, um, I think it's it's Maddie coming back on the back check doesn't, doesn't really pick him up at all. You've got Vince Dunn as the defenseman net front who just kind of skates into the Grubauer's crease without really looking around at all. You've got, uh, I mean, there's so many people on the ice that just decide not to even take a glance over into that dark corner and then you just give Panarin all the time and space in the world. Of course, he's going to score in that situation. The second goal, the Kako goal, this is the, probably the first goal of the season, RJ, that I would kind of pen on a Kraken goaltender, right? It's it's leaky. It gets through Grubauer under the arm. He's not quite able to squeeze it. It hits the post, though, and it's just sitting in the crease behind Grubauer. And Kako just crushes Dumoulin from a from a body position and physicality standpoint is just able to you know I know Dumoulin's there I know Dumoulin's physically engaged with him but it doesn't look like Dumoulin's really interrupting at all what Kako wants to do in that situation and he just is able to go in and clean up that rebound and then finally on the Lafreniere goal RJ I mean this is one where it starts with a Justin Schultz turnover behind the net so you've got that situation and then just net front, you just have all the Kraken kind of go into panic mode and the two people that do that kind of most, well, both defensemen, both Schultz and um, Brian Dumoulin do, but the person that I was most kind of watching and fascinated by and, and concerned with was Matty Beneers. And he's just standing there. He kind of starts puck chasing RJ. He's watching the puck and he just, you know, he just doesn't cover his area of the ice at all. You see him at, by the time that goal is scored, he's just reaching at Lafreniere right where Maddie should have been. And this is not something we're used to seeing from Maddie Beniers. I mean, that's the one thing you could always count on with Maddie, right? The scoring might come in bunches. The scoring might not always be there, but defensively he's rock solid. And in this one, I mean, they just looked all over the place. It was like there was zero structure Nobody was where they needed to be. And and that's something that is very, very, very concerning for me. Because if you're not going to be scoring, the least you could do is play good defense. 
Yeah, and they tried to do a little kind of handoff on, on Lafreniere where Dumoulin had him pretty solidly covered, but then Dumoulin's going to go step up and try and uh, get to the puck carrier, and then Beniers has to go take over and, and cover Lafreniere, and they just did not execute that switch well. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of sloppy defense. On on the second goal, on the Kako goal, I do want to just talk about that one for a second because you're right. This is the first one you can really put solidly on a goalie. That was a leaky goal just overall bad goaltending play but it did add to kind of that feeling of the game being cursed a little bit because at that point in the game too you have to put in the context of the lighting issue the teams were switching sides at the 10 minute mark well it was at about the seven minute mark there hadn't been a stoppage and so finally there is a stoppage at like the 704 mark or something mm-hmm. dave haxtell's barking at the refs because it's taking a long time you know after the 10 minute mark grubauer's been on the bad side of the ice for an extra three minutes so they switch sides And that Rangers goal comes six seconds after they've switched sides of the ice. I have to think maybe that played a role there because that's just uncharacteristic. Mm -hmm. Grubauer doesn't whiff on that very often. And um, I I have to think that was, you know, partially responsible at least. Yeah, agreed. Again, goaltending has not been the issue. This is, you know, the Kraken have started one, four and one, just like they did year one, RJ, but it's been the exact opposite as far as what the issues are. Goaltending has not been an issue. And like I said, that Kako goal gets saved. Brian Dumoulin sees him there and he starts engaging with him to try to shove him around the net. And he just doesn't win the battle. Like he doesn't come close to winning that battle. If he's able to win that battle, Grubauer is able to figure out that it's behind him, you know, and, and, and cover it up and, or, or another defenseman can come in and, and kind of scoot it under Grubauer. So it was kind of the combination of the two, but yeah, this game was, it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And, and I don't know that we need to spend more time on it. We can, we can shift over into talking about things in a larger context, RJ, for the Kraken, as far as what's going wrong, what they can do to fix it all. Um, but first, just real quick, want to mention, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, the comedy shows over at the Angry Beaver. Uh, just want to talk about this because the, there was the first show last Monday. And um, I, I wanted to talk about this specifically because... You know, this is this is in part being put on by an ECH community member being involved in setting up these shows. And the ECH community really, really came out to support at that first show. And so I'm bringing this up, you know, yes, to remind everybody that there's more shows, including one later tonight on the 23rd. But mostly just because I wanted to say one more time, just how incredible all of you are for supporting each other, for supporting us, just for being such an amazing community um, that everybody would go out there, support the show, have a good time, wrote glowing reviews in the discord about it. Like it was just really, really great to see that it, it, it did, it did a lot of good for, for me. Yeah. I don't really appreciate seeing that. It's just awesome. Especially seeing kind of how it all came together and, you know, with the community member, you know, approaching us and just again, have, having that collaboration and working that out and, and seeing you all show up. I mean, that's, that's just great to see. So thank you. And um, yeah, I hope, you know, people listening to this are going to the show tonight. Uh, it's going to be another really good one. And then they'll have one more uh, in November. Yeah. And again, we'll put the, the link to tickets. If you want to pre-purchase tickets, um, we'll put that in the description over on YouTube and uh, yeah, and enjoy those comedy shows at the angry beaver on all those nights where it's just East coast hockey games, right? No cracking East coast hockey games. You can uh, hang out at the bar, watch, watch the hockey games and then uh, stay for comedy. It's a, it's a really good setup they got going on there. Um, all right, RJ. So what's, what's going wrong? What can they do to fix it? Where are we at with this team? Obviously, I think what's wrong 
Well, there's two kind of areas you could focus on. You could focus on the lack of scoring, certainly. I mean, there was a point where going into that game against Carolina, RJ, where the team was shooting at 2%. That's really, really low. That's talk about some some serious regression from last year. So there's the goal scoring aspect, RJ. But then there's now after this last week, we've got the defense is really starting to look bad and it's seemingly starting to spread to other people. And then you have the toughness and physicality standpoint as well. It's not good when the what's wrong list gets longer as the season goes instead of shorter as they work on things, RJ. In your estimation right now, what is the thing that you feel like they can, they need to kind of shore up first to then be able to try to get some positive momentum going? I think it's probably the finishing and the goal scoring. And and that's the kind of thing that I guess maybe you, you can work on the least. I yeah. Part of that is luck, right? This is something we accept yeah. about hockey, that luck is going to play a role. The Kraken have the third lowest shooting percentage in the NHL. Probably not going to stay that way, but you never know how long it might stay that way. And I think you saw with, with the Carolina game, when pucks start going in, other things start going well. Um, and you kind of have it spreading that way. And when pucks aren't going in, as you've seen in some of the other games the defense starts to suffer other areas of your game start to suffer and that frustration really starts to set in so i think that's the number one thing you can do simple things like you know making sure you're going to the net dave haxtell talked about a week ago that there were kind of too many freeze frames images where you just have five guys all along the outside you need to work hard to get in front of the net and kind of create those goals i think that's something that the kraken need to just kind of constantly have in their minds is putting in that hard work to get those goals. Um, but that's, that's the number one thing for me. And it, it's tough because it's probably the one that I, I have the least amount of a clear solution for. Yeah. It's, it's certainly tough when you look at, um, you know, okay, they've played six games at this point, they've scored 11 goals. Um, but you know, seven of those 11 came in one game. So then you're talking about four goals for the other five games. That's bad. That's that's really rough. I'm with you, though. It's the one thing you can't really deal with or approach from like, a, well, let's just practice this or work on whatever. Like, it's just kind of got to happen. I guess we alluded to it a little bit earlier and talking about like, you know, well, what's the one place where they're above average from like a shooting chart standpoint and they're kind of you know, some tough angle shots, some lower quality um, places of the ice. That is something you can kind of address and try to work on. But for the most part, certain, you know, they're, they're in the upper echelon as far as shot attempts, as far as shots on goal, they are shooting the puck. It's just, they need to be able to finish. I think probably the easiest thing, RJ, and you, you know, we started talking about it with the Rangers game. The easiest thing to work on would be the physicality approach, right? It's just being tougher, being a tougher team to play against, uh, whether that's through, you know, standing up for guys and fighting or more realistically, just being stronger on your skates, be stronger on the puck, be stronger when you're dealing with one-on-one -on -one battles like with that Kako goal. You just have to be tougher out there. I'm with you. Generally not something you and I talk about. Generally not something you and I, you know, want to default to and be like, well, they just need to be tougher. But that Rangers game really exposed a lot of problems for them in this area. I will say, however, RJ, and I want your opinion on this because I brought it up a little bit on the postgame live. Is it that they actually need to be tougher and be more physical and hit more and all that stuff? Or is it that they just need to have a little bit more energy? 
right? Coming out in the second period has been a struggle for them. It was certainly no more of a struggle than uh, in that Rangers game, but it's been a struggle for them. Um, you know, they'll have good starts and then come out flat in the second period. Uh, you look at that Rangers game, and like I said, the second and third periods, they just had no life to them. They, they It just didn't seem like they were going to be capable of getting anything going because they had no energy. And I'm starting to wonder, is this where you miss a guy like Brandon Tanev? Is this where you need to maybe move a Ty Cartier higher up in the lineup? Somebody who is skating with a little bit more energy, who is going to go in, yes, throw a hit around, but not so much from a toughness standpoint, but just from a this is how you play hockey in the NHL kind of way, just to kind of inspire the other guys on the ice. Yeah, I think there are multiple ways you can go at it, and energy is certainly one of them. I think the opponent has to fear you in one way or the other, and it doesn't mean physically. It doesn't mean you know being afraid of getting hit. It can be that they are afraid of getting you mad because then you go out and score a bunch of goals on them because you're motivated, because you're playing with a lot of speed, because you're not going to be suckered into getting into any kind of physical battles or fights or scrums or anything like that. You're going to go out there and you're going to beat them on the scoreboard. And I think when you've kind of proven over the stretch of a few games that you're not capable of that, that's when you can get lured into a game like they were against the New York Rangers, where a team just feels like they can bully you physically and on the scoreboard. And there's just not a whole lot you can do about it. I mean, part of that is the power play. You know, if Jacob Truba, when he hits Andre Burakovsky, of course, no two minute power play is ever going to be worth a player being out for six to eight weeks. Right. But one thing you can do is you can go and score on that power play immediately. And that sends a message loud and clear that you can't get away with taking those kind of liberties on players. And I, I know we've talked about the power play forever since, since this yeah. team has started, right? It's, it's easier said than done as far as fixing it. But heck, if they know that even at even strength, you could go out there and, and you're likely to score a goal on them, that they have to watch out for that. Um, you know, that can make a difference in their minds. And, and it gets really dangerous when it's clear that you can't score goals, when your offense is kind of stuck in the mud, when you're not a very fast team, when you're not skating with a lot of speed. And the other team feels that also, like if you're not playing defense very well, like the end of that Rangers game, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of actual hockey. We got distracted by the fights. We got distracted by the physical element and that side of things. But when you look at the actual hockey, I mean, it was just Swiss cheese defense out it there for bad. the Kraken for the last... 15 minutes of the game mm -hmm. and you know the rangers know that okay even if we do take a penalty even if we do give up a power play goal we're going to be able to go and get that one right back so I, I think it's just shoring up those things you know from a basic standpoint but at this point with the kraken i have come around to the idea that i think you do need at least one guy who if you do get into a situation like this if you do get into a game like against the new york rangers you need somebody who can go up and step up and, and fight if you need to and this is where I think it is John Hayden time where you just have to, again, look, without with Burkowski out, you're going to have another guy you got to add to the lineup anyway. Yep. I think that has to be John Hayden, at least for the short term, just so other teams know, you know, worst case scenario, if you really mess around with us, you're going to have to answer to John Hayden. Again, normally this is not the kind of thing I go for. I don't think you need an enforcer on your fourth line. But right now, I, I think it's kind of this just emergency triage time where you have to get someone in there like that. Yes. Again, if if Berkey wasn't taken out the way he was taken out, if what happened to Yanni didn't happen, right, I, I would be like totally pushing back against this idea. But the fact that, you know, a team like the Rangers felt that they could physically target you 
and and they could you know hurt your guys that they could pull off a really dangerous play like with what happened with Chris Kreider and Yanni Gord there and just get away with it right they they weren't going to have to deal with anything that is kind of why enforcers exist in hockey it's for that one sole purpose now largely that that's gone away as guys have been more aware of you know not wanting to injure their fellow players right there's been kind of a change in the idea of the code as far as as things like that go and so you've seen enforcers kind of you know largely fall out of the game but right now it does kind of feel like that's a, a direction the kraken you know kind of need to consider going in and it would have a twofold effect too right because john hayden comes in joins the fourth line then you also get to send either a yamamoto or uh, a Ty Cartier further up the lineup, both guys who have played really, really well all six games for the Kraken this year. They play with energy. They play with intensity. They're able to go out there. They're able to score on a team that can't really score. Uh, so I think those are positives. And you're able to put them in situations where they can they can bring that energy to a top six line that desperately needs it right now. They could bring some scoring and hopefully get the rest of the top six going. And so I, I think that's that's definitely the way to go. The other, though, RJ, direction you could head in if you're the Kraken, now that you have another spot you can call somebody up into, is you could call up a young guy. And this is something that's been very, very much talked about, whether it's on Twitter, the Discord, in the post-game live chats. And that's the idea of, look, bring up Shane right now right bring him in get him in there if the team's not scoring if the team's not playing well at least get him nhl reps it's not like he's going to make the situation worse with you know rookie mistakes or whatever the team's making mistakes all over the place um, but you'd at least be letting him learn at the highest level build up you know all of his skills at the highest level and and people are pointing to what other teams are doing right now rj right you're seeing 18 year olds 18 and 19 year olds in this league all over the place whether it's you know obviously bedard but Elio carlson with the ducks adam fantilli with the columbus blue jackets you see the other people from shane wright's draft class breaking into the nhl do you think that that is something the kraken should be considering you know instead of a john hayden type call up no I, I don't think it is. In fact, I think it's probably the last thing that the Kraken should do right now. I think you do not want to bring Shane Wright into this situation with the expectation that he needs to be a hero. I think that's the last thing that he needs at this stage of his development. You had a plan going into this season, and it was to give Shane Wright a chance to earn a spot at a camp. And I, I think we both agree, Dylan, that he was okay. You know, mm -hmm. he was not bad in training camp, but he didn't knock anyone's socks off. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that he needed some time in the AHL to kind of get his game together, build that confidence and work on the little aspects of his game that I think he's going to need at the NHL level consistently. You have that plan. You cannot deviate from it. I think Shane Wright's development long term is much, much more important than trying to turn this thing around right now at the NHL level. And also, I just don't know that he's going to be able to be that hero, nor should he be expected to. I think for better or worse, when you look at the shooting percentage being as low as it is, when you look at the goal scoring difficulties being what they are, this group of top nine forwards has to be able to figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. Shane Wright isn't going to come in and be a savior. Even if he plays really well, that's not what he's going to do. You are going to live or die by these, this group of top nine forwards. I think that's just the reality of it. And it's just going to distract from trying to get those issues fixed, bringing Shane right up into this situation. So I think absolutely do not do that. 
Yeah, again, you've got six of those top nine forwards making $5 million or more against the cap, right? Another one at four and a half. Another one is the reigning Calder Cup champion, right? Like, this is, this is, that's your group. They need to be able to do it. They're expected to be able to do it. The other thing is, you look at those other people that everybody keeps throwing out as other young players in the NHL that are getting the chance to prove themselves at the NHL level, learn at the NHL level. You look at Chicago, you look at Anaheim, you look at Columbus, RJ, those those three teams. You look at a Logan Cooley in Arizona. None of those teams are expected to be playoff teams, were expected to be playoff teams, had playoff aspirations at all, right? Maybe Columbus. But like that, they're not in the same situation the Kraken were in after what the Kraken were able to do last year. Right? The Kraken were a playoff team. We were all expecting another playoff team. We were expecting a playoff team that's trying to take the next step. Right? So it's not it's not a situation that it's, you know, the NHL team is built to develop young players. Chicago right now is built with the sole intention of developing Connor Bedard. Right? That's that's literally the only thing that they are focusing on. Anaheim is built around developing their young players. You know, they, they got Logan, uh, Leo Carlson in there. They got Mason McTavish. They got Minchikov on the blue line, right? Owen Zellweger is probably going to be added at some point because he's killing it in the AHL. Anaheim is built around being bad again this year, getting another high draft pick, but just getting a bunch of young guys to develop chemistry together at the NHL level, right? They can focus just on those guys. The wins and losses don't matter so much. The Kraken, the wins and losses very, very much matter because if this team continues this trajectory, this team finishes with a top five draft pick next year, RJ, it's going to have some serious implications for a lot of people, right? You're going to have conversations around Ron Francis. You're going to have a ton of conversations all year long around Dave Haxtall. You're going to have conversations around the core. Are these guys good enough? Should we be re-signing Jordan Eberle? All of those things. Is Maddie for real as we have to extend him, right? All of those conversations are going to be going on. It's going to be a very, very difficult, um, I won't say toxic, but it's going to be a, a very, very difficult situation. It's not going to be a good culture for a young guy to come in and try to establish themselves. It's it's like one of the worst situations you could ever have in sports. So the fact that we're coming off a game, RJ, where you know the locker room stayed closed to the media longer than it ever has, post game right where it was clear that everybody was really really not okay with what had just happened after that rangers game and that they are definitely trying to figure things out right now internally i think the last thing you want to do is throw a young guy into that mix and be like hey welcome to the nhl as we're trying to deal with the fact that we are not living up to our very high expectations it just doesn't make any sense why you would do that especially after the season that he had last year, just bouncing back yes. and forth between four different teams makes no sense for Shane Wright to be called up at this point. And I think also just the anxiety has got to be up at the very top too, if it's that one of one of those, you know, maybe bad seasons again, because season ticket plans for the first ones are up after three years too. You know, that anxiety yep. is there over that as well, but Shane Wright, isn't the only young player that the Kraken have the option to call up. Uh, there's also the matter of Riker Evans, yes. another promising young player who's a little bit older than Shane Wright, uh, has a little bit more time. I think he's played over 100 AHL games now, regular season and playoffs, has some more of that experience under his belt, had a pretty good training camp. That's potentially another option. What do you think about the idea of calling up Riker Evans? Now, this one makes more sense for me, RJ, just because 
for all those things you talked about. He is older. He's in a different, you know, kind of place in his career. And to be perfectly honest, it's one of those where like the defense right now for the Kraken has so many issues. I think it, it you could benefit. The defense kind of needs to come together and figure something out. They need to kind of figure out how they want to play, what their situation is. They all kind of need to be coached up right now. So you might as well have a young guy in there with that group as they're going through all of that. So I think it's a little bit of a different situation than say what Shane Wright would experience coming in amongst that forward group. I still don't really know how that's supposed to happen, RJ, as far as bringing him up, you know, unless you're going to try to wave like a, a Jacob Magna, he would kind of be the only person you could to make that work. I don't know. But that you have wanna... the roster space. You I can know. put Burakovsky on IR. Well, I was just going to say, you could put him on IR and then have eight defensemen, but I don't know that the Kraken are going to want to do that. I mean, it's, it's not, a, I will tell you, it's not a problem roster numbers wise. You're not going to have to waive anyone. Right. It's not, it's not an issue from that standpoint. It's just the guys you're going to have to have scratched because you're okay, going to have well, to scratch. Of course, one of, you know, you're going to have to scratch Brian Dumoulin or Bill uh, Borgen, right? Those are the two guys to be scratched right now um, from just a play standpoint. Look, I, are you going to really scratch Brian Dumoulin after you just gave him that free agent contract? He, I think he's playing like he deserves to be scratched, right? Uh, I think there's a lot of people that would agree with that, but I just can't, I just don't know that they will. I said it on the post game. I think what you do is you take the opportunity if he was banged up in this last game and you sit him for a couple, hope he resets, but you do it under the look, we just want you healthy kind of standpoint. You hope he resets. You hope the defense can kind of figure their stuff out. If you want to bring up Riker Evans for that time, I say go for it. But we would have seen it by now if they did. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in favor of it, but it would make for an uncomfortable situation as far as, you know, you'd have to scratch Borgen or Dumoulin. And I just don't know that the team's going to be comfortable to do that right now. Yeah, given the contract situation that everybody has, I, I, that's that's why I said that I was very confident that Evans, no matter how well he played in preseason, yeah, was going not work. going to make the opening roster unless somebody was hurt. And I think everyone on the blue line is still at least somewhat healthy. We'll see where Dumoulin's at. But if everyone's still healthy, I just don't know how you can do it. I will say, I think there is a certain point at which you do try and hit the panic button. And I think that's probably at the end of this coming road trip. Yeah. If you're coming off that Detroit, Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay road trip, and you're, you're losing more than half those games, I think once you come back home and you're playing Nashville on November 2nd, that's the game where I would try and get him in, especially if the power play is still struggling. Because... I think Riker Evans, really good, talented young defenseman, but he's not going to be a hero either. He's not going to single-handedly turn this team's goal scoring around. Like no. you need those top nine forwards to get their game back at five on five. It's that simple. And you need the power play turned around, but that's the number one area where I think right. Riker Evans could help out. And again, he's also not like going to fix things defensively either, right? Like mm -hmm. the reason we're even considering it is because he has he has a lot of defensive growing pains that he's going to have to go through at the NHL level. We saw that in the preseason. Um, and the only reason we're considering it is because kind of the rest of the Kraken defense, or at least a couple guys on it, are playing so bad that you're like, well, we might as well have the rookie in here, right? They're making the same rookie level mistakes, even though they're not rookies. Um, so again, he's, but he's not, it's not like he's a defensive defenseman, right? He's not going to come in here and help out deal with the turnover issues or with the odd man rush issue or any of those things. Like he's, he's going, those things are going to continue to happen with Riker Evans on the ice. It's like you said, it's just that he might help out the offense a little bit and really he would help out the special teams and with the power play 
which, you know, you go back to that Colorado game. I kind of count that as another game that you ultimately lose because you can't get anything going on the power play. I still think that's a big problem for the Kraken. So it might be worth that kind of roll of the dice and putting up with those Ricky growing pains just because right now you're kind of getting that from veteran guys anyway. Right. I mean, the idea would be that he's kind of that first domino to fall, at least that maybe if he does get you an extra power play goal at some point during a game, that it lifts the confidence of everybody else, or it's it's kind of a pivotal goal in the game and that everybody else kind of can step up and build off of that confidence. He's not going to single handedly make a big difference, but maybe he can make a small difference that leads to larger differences down the road. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a tough, interesting situation that the Kraken find themselves in. We're going to just have to wait and see, though, um, how they respond to all this. I'm really interested in how they respond to this Rangers game, RJ, because of how tough it was. Because we know, again, we don't know exactly what's going on internally, but you have to know that something is going on internally as far as just, you know, players talking amongst themselves and, and trying to fix things, the coaching staff working on things and communicating with the players on fixing things. Like there's a lot that needed to be addressed after that game. We'll get our first taste of it tomorrow on the 24th against Detroit. Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll see against Carolina. Hopefully they could repeat the success they had against them last week and then Florida on uh, Sunday. So it's going to be an interesting one. But uh, yeah, ho- hopefully they can turn it around, RJ, because I mean, look, they started that first year one, four and one. They're one, four and one now. It's not a very auspicious sign. No, it's not. I think you need to turn things around really quickly. And I think it's it's the appropriate time now to start looking at that deadline or whatever you want to call it of uh, that marker of American Thanksgiving, where you look at most teams that are kind of really out of it by that point you know, they're not going to turn around and make the playoffs. It's very rare. And so you kind of have that stretch of, you know, I count the games here, maybe 15 or so games before Thanksgiving, where you really need to turn things around and start banking points. And and it starts on the road here against a Detroit team. That's that's five and one. They're fourth mm-hmm. in the NHL. Uh, didn't do all that well last season, but they look to have a pretty hot start. So I think that that'll get you right into, you know, playing the game you need to play. You're not going to get away with anything against that Red Wings team. So I think it's it's going to be a really pivotal road trip coming up. Yeah, definitely. So we'll have to uh, wait and see. Of course, we'll be there after every post game uh, to, to talk about it, get those immediate reactions. And uh, one more big shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast as they do each and every week. And again, just talking about this road trip. Great place to go and watch those games, surrounded by tons and tons of other Kraken fans. It's a great environment to watch them uh, around those 23-ish tables they have, RJ. That's right. And that you know what? That goal light, that goal horn, it's due to go off more than once a game. I, yes. I think... You know, it's due. You're going to hear it a lot more than once a game, I think, coming up. Definitely, definitely. So hope to see some people out there. Hope to see you all in the post games this upcoming week as well. But until then, we'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, K, 
Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Nick, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Tyler, Wendy, where are the Slovakians at? Strife and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.